Now it's lovely to see you all uh, today folks and we welcome you to this time of worship both those who are in the building here and those who are joining with us uh, online. Now you might be wondering why there are two of us in the pulpit today. I'm going to introduce you to Marcus Florit who has just retired as the free church minister from the Lochcarran and Applecross congregation. Uh, Patty's with us here today somewhere in the, in the crowd um, and they are going off back. Marcus is from Spain and they're going off back to, uh, to Spain to live. So we're very honoured to have them with us today. I'm going to go into a wee bit of the history. When I was a young youngster in my teens, myself and this man here decided that we were going to go off backpacking around Europe. But uh, he was on the hill one day and he was heading an imaginary football in the, in the air and he came crashing down and sprained his ankle. So that was the end of his trek around Europe. So I went off on my own. And at one stage, I think one major mistake I made was I, I shaved my head before I went. And I think most people thought I was just out of prison or something like that. No one would speak to me. And uh, I went for a whole week and I didn't have a conversation with anybody in English. I got lonely. And I prayed to God that I would be able to speak to somebody in English. And there was this group of young people from Switzerland and they were doing street evangelism just south of Barcelona. And uh, this man was amongst the group. And we obviously met. I don't have any recollection of whether we had a conversation or not. But the, the years went by. And he went off to be a head teacher in the San Andres Colegio out in Peru. And after that, when Marcus came to Scotland, we studied theology together at, uh, at Edinburgh. And then for the last 19 years, Marcus has been the minister up in uh, Loch Carran and Applecross. Now, last Monday, I went to a funeral in Applecross and uh, went to the tea after the funeral and Marcus sat at the table along with his wife, Patty, the same table as I was on. And they said to me, uh, Marcus said, uh, we're coming to worship with you on Sunday. And uh, I was very flattered because this is, their last, this is going to be their last Sunday in Scotland. So what I said to him was, you can have my pulpit if you want. Uh, and uh, he said, he seemed, he seemed to be amenable to do that. And then I said, um, now would you like to do the morning or would you like to do the evening? And then purely tongue in cheek I said, or you can do them both if you want. <laughs> well he's actually going to do them both. So we're very honoured to have Marcus and Patty uh, Florit with us, uh, with us today. That's the explanation. And I'm just going to welcome you uh, Marcus and I'm going to hand over to you now. Thank you. It's a privilege and it's good, so good for me to be here and for my wife, Patty, to, to be here with you uh, this, uh, this day. Uh, I didn't realize how hard uh, retiring from the ministry it was and not being able to preach. Uh, and I'm very thankful that I've been given this opportunity and I hope that God blesses us through uh, what he speaks to us uh, through his word today. Um, some words of Isaiah, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, 
For the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. It's with this assurance that we gather around God's word to worship our God, our Savior. He has comforted all those who set their hope in him. And with this thought, let us unite our hearts in singing praise to God using the words of Psalm 65, um, Psalm 65, uh, verses 1 to 8. That's in the Sing Psalms version, Psalm 65, verses 1 to 8. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord, to you our vows will pay, to you all people will come near, you heed us when we pray and so on.
Let us now unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. What a privilege it's ours, our God, to gather around your word in this place you have provided to worship you, to praise your name. What a privilege to be able to sing these words that you hear us when we pray. We know that we are not just lifting our voices to the ceiling, but that you are present with us by your spirit and that you hear us and that our prayers mean something. Our adoration is received through Jesus Christ. And what a privilege also to know that you are the God who pardons all our trespasses and who takes our guilt away again through Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we gather in his name today, we know of your presence with us according to your promise. And we know that you speak to us through your word as we confess it very clearly, even in our standards, that God speaks to us in the Scriptures. The Spirit speaks to us in the Scriptures. And so we pray that as we read them, as we sing from them, as we meditate on them, as we proclaim your truth, that it would be truly a blessing, that it would not just be the human minister who is dealing with us today, but that your Spirit would be dealing with us through your word. We thank you that you gather us. You call us to worship you. And you bring us here. And we thank you because there are so many in, in this world, even around us, who have no desire to dedicate some time to the worship of God. Uh, prevent us, Lord, from ever thinking that if we do, it's because we are better because we have a, a greater intelligence or greater uh, holiness. Remem uh, help us to remember our God, that if we are here, it's because you have called us, you have brought us, and that you are to bless us. Lord, we do confess our need of your forgiveness. As we look past the, the last few days, even today, we are very conscious that, as your word tells us, uh, we fall short from your glory. We fall short from adhering, as we should, to your words, to your commands. And this is not something that is a, a reality for those who ignore the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is a reality for, for us too. And especially so in that we are given by your grace a greater awareness of where we go wrong. And so we pray that as we, as we spend some time here, we would be filled with a sense of this, your, our need, but also your provision through our Savior, through our Lord. Grant, Lord, that we would be able to rejoice in who he is and what he has done and what he still does for us. That he is our friend that comes to our side and that he is the one that speaks on our behalf before the throne of the universe which has become for those who have their faith in Jesus Christ a throne of grace that we can approach 
with assurance. Lord our God, we pray for your blessing on our time together. We pray for your blessing on our lives individually, the families, the homes you represented. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us according to our need and that you would, that you would create in us a, a heart that desires to follow you and a will that is inclined to obey you. We thank you that all of salvation belongs to the Lord, that the, the life of salvation is of the Lord too, that you are the one who creates in us, who creates in us both to will and gives us uh, the strength, the power, the resources also to live as you call us to live. And so, Lord, we pray not just for ourselves, but we pray for all who gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on this day. We rejoice in knowing that, uh, that those who inhabit, dist inhabit distant lands uh, with all regard your ways, that we live in the days of fulfillment of uh, these words, that from where the sun rises to where it sets, the name of the Lord is magnified. That there are people all over the world who join to worship God in Christ. And we rejoice in knowing that those words that Jesus spoke, that he would build his church, are being fulfilled constantly as you bring those that are to believe to the communion of your children. Lord, we thank you that uh, for the involvement that we have had and have as a, as a church in extending the gospel, in taking go the gospel to many places. Uh, reference has been made to the work uh, of Colegio San Andres in Lima and other, uh, other ventures like that that we have as a denomination been involved to in the past and also today. And we pray for your blessing on it, that there will be great blessing and growth of the church through those efforts. And we pray, Lord, for uh, the growth of the church here too, both in numbers and in uh, the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that from this place the light of Jesus would go forth very clearly and uh, the sound of his name would be heard by many and that Lord in your mercy you would incline some if not many to open their hearts to Jesus Christ I thank you Lord for the witness of this congregation through the years and uh, I pray for uh, your blessing our God on it and on his minister and I thank you for his friendship and for uh, even for today, for being able to spend some time here with these people. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We pray for your blessing. And as we pray for your blessing and commit ourselves to you, we remember our nation and those who uh, govern. And as we do so, we, we do so with a heavy burden as we see a nation that seems, seems determined to move away from your ways more and more. And Lord, we know that sin is a reproach to any people and that only disaster can come 
can be the result of when your ways are ignored, not only individually, but as communities, as a nation. And we pray our God for your mercy. We can't ask for justice, we pray for mercy, that you would incline those who rule to seek you, and that you would give those who are in one way or another involved in government or administration who are your children, that they would be able to be strong, that they would be able to uh, be uncompromising in their following of Jesus Christ, and that they would be very conscious of their privilege, but also, Lord, that you would sustain them, because they have to work in most adverse uh, circumstances. Lord, we pray for your blessing on us once again. We, we need your blessing. And so we pray for your direction in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Well, my younger friends, um, I see you're all over the place, so I can't look at you directly, but you know I'm speaking to the younger ones. Um, Oh, we are young, of course, in spirit, but I'm speaking to the younger ones now. And in a few minutes, I'll be reading a passage from Deuteronomy, from chapter 5. But in that passage, uh, something happens which was very significant for the people of Israel. God spoke, they remember how years uh, earlier, God had spoken to them from Sinai. And they remember everything that happened. And they remember the, the sound that there was, the noise, and the, even the, uh, the appearance of fire that there was when God was speaking to the people from the mountain. And they remember something that happened to them. And they remember it. We're afraid here. We're really, really Afraid. You see, they realized that they could not just stand there by themselves and be okay before the majesty of God. Now, reference has been made by the minister of Galatians and Andres, and that I, uh, I had the, the privilege of being the headmaster for a, a number of years there. And one of the things that we had in the school was that we had a morning assembly, first for secondary and later on for primary. And, uh, uh, well, uh, in the assembly was, uh, there was a teaching of God's word and there was prayer. And, of course, pupils, they, they knew they had to behave. They couldn't be speaking to each other and so and, on one day, and sometimes uh, when I came down from the place where I addressed them, I would have the need of asking a couple of them, come to my office. And that wasn't a good thing. And one of those days, one of the two that needed to be called into my office was our younger son. And I had to call both. And you and you, please come to my office. And I remember later on, my son telling me, the other one, I can't remember his name, honestly, the other one, he was so scared. 
You know, he was so scared that we were, we had to go to the headmaster's office and what is going to happen now? And he said, my son Ishmael, he said, I mean, I wasn't comfortable, but I know you are my father. And I was going to the office of the headmaster, yes, but I know that you were also my father and that you were going to be fair. You were not going to be unfair to us. I could trust you. So you see, there were two children, the boy, well, children, sort of, yeah, uh, teenagers, early teenagers. One of them was quite scared at the idea of having to hear me speak to them. The other one was, he knew, he deserved it, but I was his father. And you know, that is, in a way, the difference that Israel needed to experience. That, yes, of course, they, they were conscious that they were in the presence of, not the, head, the headmaster, but the head ruler of all things. And some of them were afraid. But you see, they needed to learn that through faith in him, trusting him, trusting what he had said, and the way that he had delivered them, freed them from bondage in Egypt, that they would be okay because they were standing not just in the presence of Almighty God, but also in the presence of their God, their friend. And that is true for us in, if we believe in Jesus. That we know that when we go to God, when we address God, when we think about God, if indeed we are trusting Jesus as our Savior, we're not just before the, the one who rules the universe, but we're before a friend, one who is our Father, and one who loves us beyond what we can imagine. And I hope that you, if you haven't yet, that you early in your lives uh, come to this awareness. Yes, Jesus is there for me. As it was said probably at your baptism, that Jesus is there for you to be your Savior, to be your helper. Let me pray briefly for you. Lord our God, we thank you that when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have in the heavens not only a just judge, but we have a loving Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would give, in your mercy, you would give the youngsters here, all of them, to know you, to know that you indeed are the one whose words can be trusted, and that when you tell us that there is peace with you, through Jesus Christ, the Savior, we can trust these words and live according to them. And have the assurance that you are indeed a loving Father who loves us beyond what we can imagine. In Jesus' name, Amen. We sing now from uh, Psalm 5 in the Scottish Psalter. And understand, yeah, there's an exodus now. Uh, Scottish Psalter, uh, number 5, and we sing verses 1 to 7. 
Ye read unto my words, O Lord, my meditation way. Hear my loud cry, my King, my God, for I to thee will pray. And how wonderful it is to know uh, that as we sing this word, that the words we sang earlier still uh, go, that God hears our voice, God hears our prayers. So, verses 1 to 7. Let us now read God's word first uh, from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy in chapter 5 and then we will also read uh, in Mark in the gospel according to Mark chapter 14. First in Deuteronomy chapter 5 from verse uh, 22. 
These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still left. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say. And speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. And we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the, wor the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, Return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And now in the Gospel according to Mark, reading at, from chapter 14 at verse 32. Mark 14 and 22. And that's my mistake, I'm sorry. It's 32, not 22. It's Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, 
And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is God's word. We praise him for giving it to us. Let us pray again. Lord our God, as we read your word and as we in some moments uh, will look at it, we pray that you would truly speak to our hearts, that you would in your mercy open our hearts, our ears, that we would receive the word, that we would be then doers of the word, not just hearers of it. We do thank you, our God, for giving it to us. And we pray again that you would help us not to be indifferent to it in any way whatsoever. And that you would, uh, you would help us to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and his love for us as we look at these words we pray in his name. Amen. Well, let us sing now again from the Scottish Psalter and from Psalm 29, uh, from verse 3 to verse 8, a psalm that reminds us of the power of God's voice, of God's word. When God speaks, things happen. And so we sing, the Lord's voice on the waters is, the God of majesty doth thunder, and on multitudes of waters sitteth he. A powerful voice it is that comes out from the Lord Most High. The voice of that great Lord is full of glorious majesty. And it is my prayer that it would be that voice that is heard. So let us hear then, Psalm 20, sing Psalm 29 verses 3.
will you turn please to the text we read in the Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 14, uh, where we have read from verse 32. There are places where we enter with great caution, sometimes with great respect, apprehension even. It has to do normally with what the place represents or to whom the place belongs. Normally you didn't enter the headmaster's office, as I referred earlier, um, at leisure, unless you were a headmaster, of course. You would not enter the throne room um, in a sort of casual way, unless you were the monarch, and then maybe. There are places in Scripture that are especially like that. And I think that we enter, as we look at this passage in Mark 14, from verse 32, we enter one of those places. We enter, we could even say, the place. It is a place that is prolonged for some hours. It is a place and a time, of course. But it is one to which we must enter with great care with great devotion. In the pulpit commentary, we can read these words, and I quote, As we enter the place which is called Gethsemane, we pass into the holy place, the neatest of all to the holy of holies, that is, to Calvary itself. Then fell upon our divine Lord a sorrow and a temptation, an agitation and agony of soul, for which our language has no name, our heart no room, our life no experience. We ask what was that intolerable and overwhelming anguish which the Savior asked might pass from him, and which had so marvelous and so terribly significant an effect on his bodily nature. Our completest answer leaves much to be said, much to be explained. Now Gethsemane means oil press and how fitting that this experience of the Lord would take place in a place that was a press or referred to a, to a press. This is most likely the place where the Lord has been going with the disciples during the previous days as he was teaching in the temple. Luke tells us that it was his custom. Uh, the Lord goes to the usual place, but he goes on that occasion for a very unusual occasion. And so as we enter that place, we will bring also into our consideration, especially some of the words that we read in the Gospel of John in connection with it. For our three lessons here in Christ's experience of ours that are significant for our lives. Here in his agony, Christ experienced our agony. By his care, he confirmed our victory. And through his passion, he endured for us. Because remember that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, how the, the author of the letter to the Hebrews writes about him. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, in every respect. 
in our anguish, in our need of uh, success and victory, in our hope, both for the present and for the future. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us think first of all how the Lord Jesus Christ in his agony, he experienced our agony. And it was agony indeed. The language of the gospel writers here leaves no room for doubt. Mark is very inclusive. He tells us Jesus was greatly uh, distressed and troubled. He was very sorrowful even to death. Now the words that are used leave no aspect untouched. Greatly distressed is a, a word that refers to great, great pressure. A great unease in the heart. He is, uh, we can say, Jesus is amazed and even homesick for heaven. And he feels the pressure, not only of the moment, but the pressure of what is about to happen in a few hours. He was troubled. And the word there refers to great anxiety, to great to great trouble. The word uh, describes a state of unrest, of mental agitation. Jesus is not Superman. He is true man. And as true man, the view of the hour brings to him uh, all the unrest and agitation that the hour would bring to us. And in a sense, in a much deeper way, because only he can truly understand what he is about to face. He is absolutely conscious that he is to face the wrath of a just judge in order to complete the work that the Father gave him to do. He is very sorrowful, the Gospel tells us. Now, this word is made up of two words. Uh, one that means pain of mind, affliction, sorrow, grief. And the other one that uh, simply refers to uh, the idea of it being around. In a way, it, it is as the gospel writer tells us that Jesus was, it, it was not just a feeling, it was as if he were surrounded, completely engulfed by this grief, this pain of mind, this affliction. So much so that he says that it was even to death, even to the point of death. But not only because of the tension and the stress that he felt at the moment, but because of what he knew was coming, the death on the cross, the accursed death. A commentary tells us that the Greek words depict the utmost degree of un unbounded horror and suffering. It's no wonder that Jesus experienced, as Luke describes in his gospel, and who better than the physician to describe it, uh, it's no wonder that Jesus experienced a, a condition, a medical condition that we call hematohydrosis, which takes place when, uh, it's a very rare condition, 
which take place when the capillary blood vessels that, that feed the sweat glands rupt, experience a rupture. And so they exude and they mixed. They mix with the, with the sweat. This is what was observed. Jesus, uh, his sweat was like, like big drops of blood. It's a very rare condition. Actually, I was reading that only a very few cases have been uh, confirmed during the whole of the 20th century. And an experience that was had by some soldiers, for example, in the trenches in World War I, or by a few people during the London Blitz. Complete pressure. Complete unbounded horror and suffering. And the experience of Jesus is not one of play acting. He's not there just saying these things because it had to be done. It is a real thing. As uh, Prince Baldona MacLeod wrote in his book on the person of Christ, because he knew that that when he stood before the judge, he would do so without the covering, without any kind of help. He would do so completely naked before the face of God. No one like him could understand what it meant to be totally exposed to God's abhorrence of sin. He was to face death without God. Deprived, as Donald MacLeod wrote, of the one solace and the one resource which had always been there. Up till now he knows he knew that the cup was coming. From now on he is to drink it. And so he knows that the crushing begins. His distress is so acute as to threaten life itself. This is the one occasion in the life of Jesus where we read, according to Luke's Gospel, that an angel came from heaven strengthening him. Angels have been, uh, or have been, let's say, in contact or dealing with Jesus previously on the occasion of his confrontation with Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. Once victorious, angels came to serve him, to minister to him. Here an angel is sent to strengthen him. This was not a battle with Satan. This was to be a confrontation with God in wrath. And the moment is nearly unbearable. And so Jesus experiences real agony, the agony of loneliness. This was a time that he had to experience by himself. He goes a little further to pray. The disciples, he, he wants them near But he went beyond where the disciples stayed. He had the sense of meeting them close by. But he knew he had to be alone. It's not only the agony of loneliness, but it is also the agony of the Father's will for him. 
We can see that in the attitude of the prayer. He fell on the ground, we read. He fell on the ground and prayed. Now, this was a, a posture for prayer in times of great earnestness, of great need. It is like when David prayed for the, the child that was to be born, that he knew he was to be born to die. And he, that's the way he prayed. Great, great earnestness. It was also in the content of the prayer. If you look at verse 36 here in Mark 14, the prayer of Jesus is, Abba, Father. Now he's very conscious though. He is in that situ situation. He is very conscious that God is his Father. That will change for a for some time, we cannot measure in, in minutes or hours, but in the intensity when in the cross, when on the cross, he cannot address God as Father, but just as God. But now, though he is still very conscious of the reality of God being his dear Father, he is also conscious of what is coming. And the words of his prayer are very clear. The words of his prayer uh, are... All things are possible for you. Everything. And when Jesus says this, all things, that's what it means. All things. Not everything, but this. All things are possible for you. So if possible, remove this cup from me. Now you see, sometimes, I've got to confess, that sometimes when I read this, this text, I, I didn't realize that Yes, that Jesus was actually asking for this. You see, in his, in the experience of his stress and the tension and his vulnerability, he doesn't want the cross. He knows what is coming. And he asks, You for whom all things are possible, if it were possible, take this. Spare me from this. Now, it's not that it's not that God could not have done it. Otherwise, we would be thinking of Jesus as not speaking the truth. You see, as John Calvin wrote, and I quote. For if God had simply proclaimed our pardon by declaring that he had decided to receive us in mercy, despite our unworthiness, that would have been a great thing. Even then, we would never have been able to utter sufficient praise for such grace. St. Augustine, as he wrote, let us point out that other ways were not wanting to God whose power rules everything without exception, yet that there was no other course more fitting for healing our wretchedness. You see, Father, if possible, you who for whom all things are possible, remove this cup from me. He meant it. But then he experienced also the agony of and it was an agony here 
of surrendering to the Father's will. He knew the prophet had had spoken it. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And this was not the result of some cruel design in the divine will. But in order to rather show his glorious power, his glorious grace. The wonder of the extent of God's love for us. That he would not just declare a pardon. But through the death of Jesus Christ bring us to fellowship with God as his children. As the brothers and sisters of Jesus. As Professor Paul Helm wrote, there may have been another way to pay the price of sin. Or rather, not to pay the price of sin, but to freely pardon it. But there was no other way of procuring those God-glorifying effects that fill us with wonder and amazement and the character of God's love. What was best for us, our most merciful Father, determined. And so there Jesus in his agony he experiences but in in a way not multiplied but I can't I don't know how to say it increased in an increased way the agony that's ours of knowing that apart from him we would stand in the presence of God in wrath a consuming fire that apart from Jesus Christ apart from the mediator apart from him being between us and that wrath the cup that bitter cup that wrath that anger just anger would be ours without a remedy in his agony he experienced not just our agony, but an agony that goes far beyond. For it was the agony of the expectancy of the known. God in wrath, without a covering. But then we see also something else, that by his care, he confirmed our victory. You see, there is first the care shown in his care of the disciples watch and pray that you verse 38 watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak do you see when this is taking place Jesus is there praying father if possible take this cup from me he is there in such a degree of tension and stress that he experienced that that condition I was referring to and in the midst of that situation his thoughts are for the disciples and his thoughts are, not, are for disciples not in a, in a rebuking way not in, in a sense of in a telling off but his thoughts are for the disciples that it may go well with them that they may not have to suffer through falling into temptation, into the despair of everything that was to happen in a few 
in a few hours or in a few moments. He's concerned that they should fail not. He goes back to them without rejection. Now he knows that they will reject him, that they will leave him at least for a time. And the truth is that they do. There is no one to bear the burden with him. There is no one to help. But his concern is for them. His heart is for them. I might even say because of what we read earlier in that case uh, in the Gospel of John. His prayer is still for them. I pray for them. That you will sustain them, Father. His care is shown by his dealing with the disciples, of course. You see what, what we read. They did not know how to answer him. He knows. He understands. How can they know? If in a way, humanly speaking, he himself finds himself in that condition. But we can see also his care that is shown by his willingness to go beyond Gethsemane. I was asking if there was a a text that somehow could summarize the, uh, our thoughts in connection with this passage. Uh, at the moment I, I didn't really know, but probably it's uh, the last verse. Despite everything that we read about, despite everything that we can think about uh, in connection with the previous verses, what we read is, Rise, let us be going back to Galilee. Oops, oops, sorry. Another version, that must be. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Let's go meet him. Let's go meet him. You see, his care for the disciples is, is that, that he is willing to go beyond Gethsemane, of course. It's not what he likes or desires. But it is what he likes and desires according to the Father's will. And he will do it. He will go beyond Gethsemane to the trial and the cross and the tomb. Again, words from Donald MacLeod. The wonder of the love of Christ for his people is not that for their sake he faced death without fear but that for their sake he faced it terrified. Terrified by what he knew and terrified by what he did not know. He took damnation lovingly. That was one experience which would happen hours later for which Christ had no previous experience. To sense heavens closed and to die. But by his care, you see, he confirms our victory. He goes beyond Gethsemane. And so he makes sure that we are okay. But also we see that through his passion, he not only endured for us, but he declared his lordship. And it is here that we must bring uh, some of the words that we have in the Gospel according to John. Uh, 
You see, because all the time Jesus has been telling the disciples um, through, through the years with them, he has been telling the disciples, you see, no one takes my life. I give it of my own accord. I, uh, it's not that I'm not a victim here. I am the actor. I am the leader. And that doesn't come out in any place, I think, in a much clearer way than when we go to the Gospel of John and we see some of the things that happened there in connection with his arrest in John 18. You see, because in, through his passion, everything that's connected through his passion, the trial, and well, the arrest first, and the trial, and the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ shows that he is in control. That he is indeed Lord of all. And I think we can see that so clearly when the time for his arrest comes. As we read in the Gospel according to John in chapter 18 from uh, verse 3. Um, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Jesus, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Now, of course, previously in the Gospel according to John, we know that John uses this expression, I am, in different places in connection with the words of Jesus. And of course we know that I am is the way by which God revealed his name to Moses. I am who I am. And indeed here is one of those occasions when these words are not connected with something else. Like for example, I am the bread of life. But he is connecting these words in a very unique way to himself. I am who I am. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I am who I am. And the people that are coming to arrest him, uh, a cohort of soldiers, maybe 200, something, uh, even up to 600. They cannot stand. They fall back to the ground. You see, they're in the presence, even without being conscious of it. They're in the presence of deity. And they cannot stand. But then the same words are repeated. And Jesus allows them to stand. You see, the second time he says the same. The same words is the same person. But they stand. Now the disciples are there with him. Uh, remember, one of them has taken a sword although we don't read it here, but one of them has taken a sword and cut the high priest's servant ear. Now, don't you think for a moment that he was aiming at his ear? But he was a fisherman, not too handy with a sword, but most likely he wanted to take care of his head. And the disciples are there with him. One of them has acted in violence against 
one of the arresting party most likely the leader of let's say the Jewish uh, side of the party not the Romans can you imagine a, a situation like this one today a band of revolutionaries being arrested or terrorists being arrested and uh, the leader let's say being caught and the leader telling the authorities the soldiers, armed people now you let these ones go and the soldiers saying yes we oblige how could anyone how, could anyone, how would anyone do that now the disciples knew that the possibility of them being charged also was there, remember Peter? He doesn't, eventually he tries not to be identified with Jesus because he knew that something could happen to him. But here when Jesus is arrested, Jesus tells them, tells those that come against him, let these ones go. You see, the word had to be fulfilled. None of these will be lost. None of these will be dealt with like he was. He's in control of things. In his agony, he's in control of things. In his care, he's in control of things. In his passion, he's in control of things. See, so no matter where we are, no matter what our experience may be, no matter what situation we may find ourselves in, no matter how deep our distress may be, no, ma no matter how violent our doubts may be, no matter how deep our sense of failure may be, he knows our agony much better than we ourselves. But he shows his care beyond what we can imagine. And he's in control. Nothing is out of his hands. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. For the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing to endure that hour. The hour of darkness. We thank you that he was willing to endure it and to drink the cup to, to the last. And we thank you, our God, for uh, the hope and the comfort and the strength that these events and this, these texts bring to us. He understands us completely, absolutely. He understands our fears, our worries, our concerns, our doubts, our, our, our sense in, of inadequacy. We, he understands completely. But Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, God cares. That we know of his care at every moment of our lives, in every situation, in every circumstance. And that we can rest assured in the knowledge that he is Lord of all. 
that he is Lord even of our our saddest experiences that he is the Lord who is in control what a comfort this brings to know that life and our own experiences everything in our lives is not the result of even our own choices and nothing else but that God is in control and that all things work out together for good for those that love him Grant, O Lord, I pray that all, all of us who are here this, this day would be able to say, I do love him, not as I should, but I love him. My hope is set in him. And I just rest in the promise of his grace through Jesus the Savior. Amen. Let us conclude singing from, well, no, I should say Psalm 13 in Sing Psalms. Um, it may be that if we could say that those words were included in, uh, at least later on in the experience of Jesus. How long will you forget me, Lord? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But then the psalmist continues and he knows that uh, that's not the case. Uh, that he can trust in God's constant love. That he knows that God will save and set him free. So let us sing this word, Psalm 13. How long will you forget me, Lord?
Let us hear God's blessing as we read this word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy 